Uh, today uh, we get to week three of our series, current series called Stand, and it's in Daniel chapter six, and we're going to be talking about Daniel in the lion's den. So, like, we will not be shaken is the perfect song, I think. While the guys are setting up, getting set up, you might want to just start imagining um, what you know of Daniel in the lion's den. It's one of the most famous Bible stories. And you might want to just think about lions, the last time you saw a lion, whether you went to the zoo or you've been to some exotic country or maybe you've been on safari and seen a lion. By the way, this series is called Stand, but I am going to sit this morning. Um, just, yeah, just imagine lions and thinking that song, We Will Not Be Shaken, Scary Animals Lions. This morning what I want to do is actually... Um, and the reason I'm sitting is because I want to approach this, uh, this passage from more of a conversational perspective. I want to model for you how I approach the Bible. I like to ask questions. I like not, not questioning God so much. You know, there's a way of questioning God that I think is unhelpful. There's a way of uh, questioning the Word of God that I also think is unhelpful. At some point, you have to decide whether or not you're going to believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and it is the way in which God speaks to us, and I do. And if you believe that the, that the Bible is the revelation of God, then, then I think you can come to God like, and come to the Word in a conversation. And that's how I like to approach the Scriptures, particularly with these really well-known stories, stories that you might have heard from a child or you've, you've you know, seen movies out of or whatever, I just like to look at them in a fresh way and ask questions. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you have your phone or you've got your Bible, to open it up. It'll be helpful to look up Daniel chapter 6. Uh, if you have our Elevate app, um, if you click onto there, it will start with a verse I'm going to start with in Daniel 6. So since last week's exciting episode that Mark, uh, Mark looked into, so we've been to, this is week 3, Daniel's life has progressed. He started off uh, being taken into captivity and we sort of estimate his age to be around 14. Then we get to today's story, Daniel 6, and, his, and it's Daniel's in the lion's den. You might be surprised to know that by this stage, Daniel is around 80 years of age, which is extraordinary. Most paintings of Daniel in the lion's den, he looks young. You know, Sunday school books, Daniel's always a young man, but actually he would have been about 80. And in the ancient world, that's quite a feat to have actually reached the age of 80. He's lived through, so by this stage, he's already lived through two kings. So he got taken into captivity, as you'll remember, by King Nebuchadnezzar. There's been uh, another king in between, and now we find today we meet a new one called King Darius. Now, Darius was quite the organiser the, the um, a brilliant CEO, if you like, of Babylon. And what the first thing he does is he reorganises the kingdom. So clearly things have got a bit chaotic. Babylon itself had been, uh, um, you know, it was this massively strong country, but it itself had been attacked. And so we get this new king called Darius. And the first thing he does is going, right, I need to, um, I think he's probably, does anyone know the disc profile? He's clearly a high D leader, but he's also got a C in him, which means he wanted to lock and load, who, who, you know, count everybody, see what we've got and make sure I don't lose anything. So to do that, he appoints 120 satraps. I just like saying that. What's your job? Well, I'm a satrap. <laughs> Due to a degree in satrapping. Um, so he gets these, so they're, they're sort of like little organisers and then he puts three governors over the top. 
And then he realises that Daniel is brilliant. So in fact, in, uh, in the message version of Daniel chapter 6, this is what uh, Eugene Peterson writes, um, that Daniel was brimming with spirit and intelligence. So remember, he's 80. Daniel was, was brimming with spirit and intelligence. He so completely outclassed the other vice regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. So he's an 80-year-old who's absolutely brilliant, still, able, still making a significant contribution in the kingdom such that he becomes basically the 2IC. You can just feel the tension build at this point of the story, can't you? Let's cut him down to size. The other governors wanted to try and put him out of power. In fact, they're still calling him. So this is like, you know, years later, they're still calling him an exile. In actual fact, he had lived most of his life in Babylon and yet he's still being treated as an alien and an exile. You might want to think about that. Wherever you've lived your life, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. How do you live in this world? Do you live here as an alien and exile or have you become a settler? I just want to leave that question with you but suggest that maybe if we lived our lives as if we were aliens and strangers, life and our faith might be a little bit different. So there's conflict. The uh, administrators get together and they realise that they can't pin anything on, on, um, on Daniel. There's no corruption in him. There's no scandals. There's no uh, secret emails that become uncovered. <laughs> None of that stuff going on in Babylon. Uh, he's, he's absolutely squeaky clean. And so they, they basically decide the only way we're going to catch him out is to cook up a, you know, something religious. We'll pin something religious on him and that way we'll get him. So they do, and they decide, they appeal to King Darius's um, ego and they decide that they give him a law and say, look, if you pass this law, everyone has to pray to you for 30 days and anyone who doesn't pray to you will end up in the lion's den. That's what they cook up. Well, even that, I'm, when I, this is where I start asking questions and I'm going, well, clearly these administrators and satraps were not very smart. They weren't thinking very clearly because if they, if they had thoroughly investigated Daniel's life, they didn't need to wait 30 days to catch him out. The Bible's quite clear. Daniel prayed three times a day, every day. Day one, they could have got him. So why pass the law for 30 days? There's a lot of trouble they went to for not a lot of effort, I don't think. The, which, which, which makes me ask another question. They were obviously smart people to be appointed as administrators and satraps. But they were so focused on pulling Daniel down that they weren't thinking clearly. See what fear does to your mind? You don't think clearly if you're afraid, if you're feeling insecure, if you're feeling rattled, if you want more power. You actually can't think clearly. Just tuck that away for a minute. So now we come to the story of Daniel, who obviously prays three times a day. He gets caught out on day one and gets thrown into the lion's den. I just want to jump to the lion's den just for a moment. Here's the next question I ask. Is this a true story or is this a myth? It's just a myth busting. <laughs> As it so happens, we have a niece who ran away and joined the circus. 
and she fell in love with a lion tamer. <laughs> so here's a picture of uh, my niece and her partner, Casey, and they live in uh, the Middle East, and they're lion tamers. How cool is that? My niece is a lion tamer. When she was in Perth last year, she'd been raising some baby tigers and her arms were like punctured with all these teeth marks from baby tigers, really super cute. Um, Casey, uh, Casey actually decided, he goes one step further, um, he stuck a GoPro on his head and then stuck his head in the mouth of the lion. Do you want to see it? Okay, here we go. So here's what it would look like if, if you got your head stuck in the mouth of a lion. It's, There we go. <laughs> On Facebook, you can see actual photos of him with his head in the lion's head. It's just amazing. They're amazing pictures. So I, I, um, they're in the Middle East. So I, I texted her the other day and I said, so Nikki, you went to Sunday school and you know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Could, is it plausible? Could someone survive a night in a, um, and I said sea container, because what they do in the Middle East is with the lines at the circus, they have these modified air-conditioned sea containers with the sides taken out, but that's where the lines live. So could a, could a man survive a night in a sea container with a line? And she messaged me back and she said, well, if the lions had eaten and they'd had, you know, had, she said they're basically really lazy. Once they've eaten, they just go to sleep. But she said, you'd probably still need a really big, long stick so, yeah, it's possible if the lions had eaten and he had a really big, long stick, you could, you could probably survive a night in the lion's den. But she said, at the end of the day, they're still wild animals. And if they get agitated or afraid, they're going to attack anyway. So whichever way you look at it, I think this story is plausible. There's plenty of evidence in, in the ancient world about kings keeping lions and, and there's lots of debates about whether or not this story is true. But I think, it, you know, it's, it's plausible, which... Which, but it leads, me to the, it leads me to this other question. Why do we ask the question in the first place? Is this, is this plausible or is this just a made-up story? And here's why. Because if Daniel in the lion's den is true and God is everything that we want him to be and hope that he really is, if it's true for Daniel, then those miracles must also be true for me. But I'm too scared to ask God for big miracles because I don't want to be disappointed. What happens if God lets me down and he doesn't come through the way I want him to? See, this is why I think people question miracles because deep down we try and protect ourselves from disappointment. What if I can't trust God? What if God doesn't come through? Sometimes God doesn't give me the miracles that I want. Do you ever feel disappointed or you don't want to trust God because you don't want to be disappointed? You don't want to feel let down? This is how I started approaching this message because I thought I want to deal with my own sense of protection when it comes to God. I trust God. I say I trust God, but I know there's some areas sometimes where I don't want to be disappointed and so I don't go there. But this, that's not lane three living as we've been talking about. Because lane three living is, is going beyond asking God to do things for me and instead saying, actually, I just want God to work through me. You see, if I'm too busy protecting myself from disappointment, what chance does God have to work through me? 
What chance does God have to work through you? If I'm already saying, well, God, you can go this far in my life, but not here, not this bit here, because I just don't want to be disappointed. I don't think I could bear it. Instead of going, you know what? As we sang in that song, I'm going to tr- I, we trust in our God. I'm going to open up my life and see what happens. This question, what if? What if today you and I decided that we would trust God in a, deep, a deeper way? What if we took a risk? What if we just asked the question, what if? Such a great question. I like that one. What if? What if the deeper purpose of this story is not about, is not the miracle of, of Daniel being in the lion's den and surviving the night? That, I mean, that's a miracle. I'm not discounting that that is a massive miracle. But what if there's another miracle in the story of Daniel that you and I can access? Because it's highly unlikely that I'm ever going to find myself in a den of lions. Are you expecting that, anticipating that? I mean, it could happen. It could happen. I could get arrested in Saudi Arabia sometime and and get thrown into a den of lions. It could happen. Um, It's easy. I've heard this, you know, when you hear this this, um, story preached, often people will make an application to situations that will feel like a lion's den. That's a good message. It's not the message I felt I wanted to preach today because it's not kind of deep enough. I, wanted, I kept asking questions of this passage going, God, but what is a miracle that I could get hold of today? Because it's highly unlikely I'm going to find myself in front of a lion today. What is your word saying to me right now? What if? I think there's a deeper miracle in the story of Daniel I think the story, the deeper miracle of Daniel's story, and I'm looking at even bigger than what happens in chapter 6, is that he, through his whole life, from when we met him at age 14 to now when we're meeting him today at age 80, he did not give way to fear. I think that's a massive miracle. Can you do with a miracle in relation to fear today? Let's keep going with the story. Daniel stood strong because he did not give way to fear. See, the power of Daniel's life was that he believed that God was with him. He he was absolutely rock solid that no matter what happened, God was with him. So therefore, he didn't fear. He was clear about his life's purpose. Do you remember in Jeremiah 29, week one, we talked about this. God said, I'm going to send you into captivity but don't be afraid, I will be with you. And while you're there, I want you to do good in the land. If you do good, then everybody will do good. Daniel was rock solid clear about God was with him. And when God was with him, he was supposed to do well in the land. And so his whole life, even at 80, he was still brilliant, you know, the most brilliant administrator in Babylon because he was doing what God asked him to do. He was just clear about his purpose. And he progressively learns to trust God. You know, in chapter one, the challenge between Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar was a significant challenge, but it wasn't like standing in front of a lion. But Daniel had learned through his life that not only would he trust God, but he could trust God. God had come through for him at every point. 
Daniel has this, when you read his life, you suddenly go, oh my goodness, his sense of security is not in superannuation. His sense of security is not in being the two IC of all of Babylon. His sense of security is not being best friends with the king. His sense of security is solely resting in God. That speaks to me. That starts to get at the heart of the, of the fear that I walk around with. That starts to get to those places that God can't work through me because I won't let him because I'm afraid. That's the miracle that I want to get hold of. It's just this remarkable lack of worry in Daniel's life. See, here's the other thing I realised is when I was thinking about this and these uh, satraps and administrators cooking up this plot and not thinking clearly, I'm going, I mean, I'm a, I'm a CEO. And you realise that when you're a CEO, you know, I know stuff, I know what's going on. I know when there's people whispering. I know what the gossip is. Someone always leaks. Someone always leaks the news to the leader. You can't tell me that Daniel didn't know that these guys were ganging up on him and putting a plot. Second most powerful man in the land. You can't tell me that he didn't know what they were doing. Now, if I was Daniel, there's a few things I would have done. I would have gone and fed the lions to make sure they'd gone to sleep. I would have stuck a stick in there so I could have kept the lions at bay. I certainly would have found out who the ringleaders were and I would have dealt with them. He had the power, you see, he had the power to do that. And there was an absolute absence of Daniel strategizing what was going to happen. He wasn't, it was like he didn't even think about it. He wasn't concerned about it. He let the governors and the administrators cook up their plot and go to the king and he did nothing to stop it. That to me demonstrates this remarkable lack of worry and absolute trust and confidence in God. It's quite confronting, isn't it? As you start to think about that, you think, how much do I try to engineer things? You know, when someone doesn't like me. Do you, ever, you know, when people don't like you and you get to hear about it, you start cooking up all kinds of plots against them in your head. I do. How can I, how can I keep that person out of my life? Or how, you know, am I just the only wicked person? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just making you feel better. (laughs) Daniel's just so consistent. He prays three times a day. In Daniel 11, you know, my life verse, I shared it with you before. Um, Daniel 11, 32, the people who know their God will be strong and will do amazing things. In contrast to Daniel, who's completely at peace about all of this, we get a picture of the king. Let's go to the scriptures um, towards a bit further down in Daniel 6. I think it's from verse 10. So here we go. Daniel, when he learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Just this remarkable lack of peace. The king, however, if we move on, when the king heard this, so when the king realised that he'd signed, basically signed the death warrant on Daniel, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Complete contrast to Daniel. The king realised he'd been tricked 
And he spends the rest of the day expending vast amounts of energy trying to overturn the law that he himself had signed. It's just such a contrast, isn't it? See, that's what I do. If, I, if something's not right, I'll run around to fix it and to, and to do everything that I can to make it right, to protect myself. Such a contrast. And we go on and we, we see what, the king, what else the king does. The king gave the order, uh, threw Daniel into the lion's den, and the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. The king had come to the end of his own resources. He realised he couldn't do anything. I wonder though if he believed that, the, that God would rescue Daniel. And then we go on. That night, um, Daniel's situation might not be changed. So they stuck a stone in the front so Daniel couldn't get out. There was no escape. His situation couldn't be changed. Again, he, but he's not worried about it. So much about life we can't change. We find ourselves in situations and circumstances that we're, we're out of control and we can't change it. And then yet we're still trying to do it. We're still trying to change it to make it better. The king um, returned to his palace and he couldn't sleep. I think the reason we find out about the king is because the opposite is true of Daniel. He probably curled up and went to sleep. Maybe he snuggled into a lion. We don't know. But we've got this very, very distressed king who wouldn't eat, he had no entertainment and he didn't sleep. Let's move on. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Even that's just extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, as soon as they put Daniel in the lion's den, like that, it would have been all over then. Something deep within the king was hoping that something would be different. He, crawled, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And here is Daniel's response. Uh, sorry, so that obviously then Daniel is, um, is uh, rescued. Sorry, I, I jumped too quickly. If we move to Philippians 4, and I haven't got a slide for this one, but let me just read to you. This lack of worry that we see in Daniel's life is echoed in Philippians 4, where the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippians church. And he says this, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions or let requests and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. Oh, it's like breathing spaces when I read that. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, God is fully present here right now. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. And this is my favourite line. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. You think about when you're afraid, this is a storm comes up inside you. 
and it's all sloshing around in there and you're just feeling sick with worry. But when Christ comes in and displaces like something, like a stone in a bath and all the water comes out, you know, like Christ in the centre of your life, all the worry just goes away. And there is this perfect peace. The last message I had a recipe, this time I've got a formula. Here's a formula. And the formula is this. Because Daniel did not worry, he was able to stand strong. Because Daniel was able to stand strong, God was able to work through Daniel. And because God was able to work through Daniel, the king was convinced that God was real. And you read that in the last declaration of the king. The king writes to everybody and this is what he says. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. That's an extraordinary thing to say for a king who who knew about kingdoms being destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Because Daniel didn't worry, because Daniel was able to pray, God was able to work through him and this whole nation was changed. See, it was only when Daniel was 14 that he he was taken into captivity by the nation who tried to crush, rub out and kill off anything to do with the God of Israel. Complete extermination of the God of Israel. And within Daniel's lifetime, we see an amazing flip where now the king of Babylon is declaring that God is real. My goodness, that's powerful. That is so powerful when I think about the world in which we live and the times in which we live, when the church is feeling like we're being pushed to the margins, that we're being marginalised, that God is being taken out of every part of life in our society and in our time. And we think, how can we stand? Just imagine this morning. We want to be lane three people. We want to be saying, God, will you work? Will you live? Will you, will you act through me? We could see in our lifetime a complete change around in our own country. Don't you think? Because the same God who was with Daniel is with us. You know, this week I just spent time thinking about that, 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 that God was with Daniel in the lion's den. How cool is that? That God was with Daniel in the lion's den. God remembers what it was like to be in the lion's den with Daniel. God is with me right now. Same God. That's a powerful, powerful thing to hang on to. Wherever you are today or this week, the God who was with Daniel in the lion's den is right with you, absolutely present in whatever situation or circumstance you find yourself in. Amen, absolutely. We should all be so excited about that. I want to make this kind of, I mean, just that gets me going. Just thinking about God, God being with us. The thing about Daniel is that he wasn't worried about the outcome 
He was prepared to go in the lion's den, whether he lived or died. I like to control outcomes, do you? I'm very good at controlling outcomes <laughs> or engineering things to be the way I want. Sometimes I catch myself praying and engineering the way I want God to act. But you know, Daniel again is this example of someone who was just content to be with God. He was prepared to go into the lion's den whether he came out or not. He did get to see the outcome. You know, it occurred to me this week when I did the numbers and I realised that Daniel was 80. I actually hadn't thought, I actually hadn't realised that myself until this past week. But the exile was for 70 years. Daniel was there at the beginning of the exile and he was actually there when the first people went back to Judah. And I asked myself this question, what if? What if Daniel hadn't made his life open to the Lord in every way? What would have happened? Um, God, would have, God would have done whatever God would have done to have got the people back to the land of Judah. But the fact was Daniel was there and because Daniel was there, I couldn't help but wonder, is this why when the first exiles went back to Judah, they went with the blessing of the king? And they went back with money and supplies to start rebuilding the wall because Daniel stood for God through those whole years of exile, 70 years of exile, he stood there. That's an incredible thought. Daniel himself never went back to Judah. And I think about that for myself and I think I may never see the outcome of my life. I may never know what it meant because I stood and asked God to work through my life. But one day I'll find out. Because I'm an alien and a stranger, this land is not my home. My true home is in heaven, isn't it? This is a temporary life. So it's time for me to stop tying myself to things in this world that I wanna hang on to and I wanna protect. All those things that are actually stopping me from being open to the power of God working through my life. I hope that's the kind of life you wanna live. I think it sounds pretty exciting. I think it's really cool to be part of a church of people who wanna live like that. If you do nothing else this week, I wanna encourage you just to think about praying three times a day like Daniel. No matter what situation you're in, just stop and pray. I have a friend who talks about plodding for God. She reckons the best people, that, or not the best people, but she reckons that we underestimate in the church. You know, we look at people and we go, oh, they're so wonderful and they're so amazing, they're so gifted. But she said, you know what? I think the kingdom of God is full of people who know how to plod for God. They read their Bibles, they talk to God three times a day, stop and pray. And they just consistently live trusting in God. How cool to be just someone, you know, I'd like to be known as someone who's just plods for God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, the example of the life of Daniel. We may never be second in charge of the whole world, probably not. We're probably never going to find ourselves in a lion's den. But God, you know the things that we face every day that cause us to be afraid. You know the things that we worry about. 
You know, the things that cause us to close off parts of our life because we're just a bit afraid, what if you don't come through? Father, I want to pray and declare over us that in Christ you are perfectly present in our lives. And so when we think about that, when we remember that, that's when we can sing with absolute conviction, we will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. Father, you also understand that we are human beings and we do get afraid and the seas rise up in us, the seas of anxiety. I want to pray this week that we would remember that when we put you into the centre of that anxiety, it all gets displaced and you bring peace into our lives. Father, today I pray that you would help us to live more and more in lane three as we've been talking about, that we know that you are God. We know that you can do things for us and we thank you for that. We wanna keep asking you to do things for us, but Lord, we wanna be living in the place where you do things through us so that the whole world will know that you are the living God. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I just remembered one thing I was gonna tell you. It's pretty cool. Do you know in, um, in the story of Job, which is the man, you know, who, who has everything and then it looks like God punishes him and takes it all away and he goes and, you know, ends up in boils and kids die and it's terrible. But there's a, at the end of the book of Job, there's a, um, two, a few chapters there where God and Job have a conversation. And, and God says to um, Job, what's the scariest thing you can imagine in the sea? And he talks about the Leviathan, the, scary, the scariest sea monster you can think about terrifying animal. And God says to Job, you know, that's like my pet. I, I play with that thing. When I read that a few months ago, I thought, you know, the next time I get really afraid of whatever, I'm going to think about the Leviathan. Whatever that thing is that I'm afraid of, I'm going to go, you know what? That's like God's pet. He just plays with that thing completely changes the way I view fear and anxiety and circumstances. God is not at all troubled by the things that trouble us. He will always act. He will always be at work. Amen.